This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Surgery is a key driver of revenue and margin for these health systems. Naturally, their leaders are looking to understand how to continue to play in the space that's very dynamic and competitive. And knowing where surgery is going to be done in the next five or 10 years at the procedure level is critical in helping them understand that. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Tori Ritchie. Today, we're discussing a hot topic, side of care shifts. We're going to talk a little bit about which procedures are shifting, why these shifts vary by market, and how to navigate changing care patterns within your organization. I'm joined by two of our experts, Tony Guth, our resident surgery lead, and Nikita Aurora, who works closely with Tony to support SG2's system of care research. SG2 has been forecasting side of care shifts for years. This is not a new story, but Tony... You and Nikita just wrapped a side of care shifts briefing. Why was it important to address this topic now? We have been forecasting procedural and surgical activity for years, but to be transparent, we primarily focus on the shift of volume from inpatient to outpatient. And what this new briefing does is it goes a level deeper where experts determine the level of likelihood of their procedures to move from one physical setting to another, like the hospital outpatient department to a freestanding ASC, for example. And additionally to these procedures, we estimate a couple things. One is how much volume is at risk. And two, we apply some Medicare revenue estimates to get a rough understanding of how much revenue can be at risk. The whole point is to give the reader some tools to understand these dynamics, how they apply to their local markets and plan accordingly. It's important to address these topics now because a lot of our health system members at SG2 are just begging for this information. It's one of the most common questions that I get. And they need to know what procedural activity is at risk of moving away from where they're currently doing surgery. So many of our health system members are still very much hospital-centric. They're focused on providing hospital-based care. And so they feel exposed to financial and volume risks during a time where a lot of us are struggling financially. Our partners at Kaufman Hall, they publish this operating margin index and it's been negative every month this calendar year. So this is something that's top of mind for a lot of health system members. And surgery is a key driver of revenue and margin for these health systems. Naturally, their leaders are looking to understand how to continue to play in the space that's very dynamic and competitive. And knowing where surgery is going to be done in the next five or 10 years at the procedure level is critical in helping them understand that. So that's why now, I would say. I think that it's interesting because the pandemic really catalyzed so much of this movement, right? From not only inpatient to outpatient, but also outpatient hospital departments to ambulatory surgical centers. Those are two important stories to differentiate between. There is that shift from the four walls of the hospital, something that was historically inpatient going to an ambulatory care setting. But then we also have the outpatient shuffle. Nikita, could you elaborate a bit on the dichotomy between these two trends? Yeah, absolutely. Tori, you hit the nail on the head. It comes to no surprise that there is an ongoing shift from inpatient to outpatient, which has been maturing through the years, but it's certainly not something that should be overlooked. Capacity constraints that could be as a result of COVID or even workforce challenges that we've been seeing, the removal of procedures from the CMS inpatient only list, or even new entrants, private equity ventures, fueling consumer-centric site proliferation, among many other factors, are going to continue to catalyze that movement. Unlike in the initial waves where we've seen the traditional shift go from inpatient to hospital outpatient departments, we are actually going to see ASCs and physician offices at play as well, which really brings in that second element of our analysis, which is that procedural shuffle across those lower acuity outpatient sites of care. What are some of the key factors that are driving this movement? 
It is exactly that. We're seeing payer pressures emerging for pushing these procedures to lower acuity sites of care so that it reduces the cost burden on payers. We're going to be seeing improvements in technology that are going to be making it easier to perform these procedures at lower acuity sites of care, which will also result in a decreased length of stay and increasing enablement of evolving surgical techniques. Tony, anything else that you'd add? The payer pressure is a big one. The entrepreneurial physician groups is another dynamic. And this is why we have some markets moving quicker than others. In my consulting years at SG2, there was a client who called us in to help out with their facility planning. And they had a dominant payer in the market who was tired of the hospital's high price cost of care for procedures that were clearly ambulatory appropriate. So the payer started directing patients to a regional competitor's brand new ASC across county lines. I think it was about an hour, hour and a half drive. But it's something that they followed through with, and our client was kind of troubled by that and trying to figure out a reaction, develop a game plan to react to that. That's just kind of one example of how big pair pressure can be. And the physician dynamic is probably even bigger because the physicians are driving this shift even more than consumers. It's physician demand. And you've got these groups, ASCs that have been open for 10, 20, 30 years. These are independent physician groups who have started their business. They own their ASC when operated. They do low acuity, high quality, low cost procedures quickly and efficiently. And that's their business. Health systems have traditionally felt like that's not exactly their arena, but they're getting into the space more and more because that's where surgery is going. Developing the right relationships with the physicians is really critical. Those are probably the two biggest reasons why these shifts are happening. So where do we stand today? We've heard a lot about ortho volumes shifting from inpatient to outpatient. There's so much more to this story than just total joint replacements happening in a lower cost care setting. I'm curious, number one, is there really that much more volume left to shift out of the inpatient setting? And number two, what are some of the top procedures that we're seeing do the shuffle across sites? This inpatient outpatient shift is getting quite mature. In a lot of ways, it's old news. The ship has sailed for a lot of specialties. Inpatient surgery, I think, is only 16% of all surgery right now, according to our data, and the remaining 84% is outpatient. It's mature, but there's still some juice left to squeeze, and it's not a risk that can be blown off. Bariatric surgery, to your question for something specific, it's gone down from 82% inpatient to 73% inpatient since the pandemic started. If you're paying attention to SG2 six, seven, eight years ago, you know, we didn't think bariatric surgery was going to really be too outpatient at all. COVID exacerbated the shift out of necessity. So it's something that we've seen in primary shoulders, another example. That one's driven by a different influence, and that's CMS's inpatient-only list mostly, which everyone needs to pay attention to. I think we estimated that there are going to be almost 200,000 fewer inpatient surgeries over the next 10 years, according to our forecast. So a lot of that's due to that outpatient shift, but some of it's just a pure loss due to innovations in technology and improved medical management, better community-based preventive care, and new innovations that prevent the inpatient surgery from happening in the first place. Without a doubt that the bigger picture, the bigger story is the outpatient shuffle, the shuffling of cases across outpatient settings that may not be your pop to your hospital outpatient department. And this is the bigger story because more than a decrease in reimbursement, these shuffles to other sites mean that you could lose the entire patient altogether if you don't have the appropriate ambulatory footprint. Sure. And what are some of the types of procedures that we're seeing do the shuffle right now? What's moving from HOPD to ASC or ASC to the office clinic? We've definitely seen some of the more obvious movement 
We're seeing primary knee replacements moving from inpatient to outpatient, from HOPD over to the ASC. Some of the more interesting volumes that we're seeing shift also include percutaneous breast biopsy. We're seeing that movement go from hospital outpatient departments to office-based settings as part of a trend to be a little bit more inclusive and easily accessible to consumers. Arthroscopies are going to be shifting from hospital outpatient departments to ASC settings and even the office. And then even hernia repair, something that we've traditionally seen in HOPDs is moving towards ASCs in a continuous momentum with robotic assistance and additional draw of surgeons to these locations with this newer technology is going to continue to push that shift. To add to Nikita's procedures that are most likely to shuffle, some that are really interesting to me are ones that are moving further down the hierarchy than you'd expect. The most common thing we talk about is HOPD to ASC, right? That's probably the most common thing we pay attention to and talk about with our clients. But there are things moving, according to our experts, from HOPD to home or office, making a larger leap to an even lower side of care than you would expect. Dialysis, for instance, this is something that might be more likely to be done in the home setting. And right now it's predominantly in the hospital setting. No reason for that to be true. So we actually have a high likelihood of that moving to home in the next 10 years. And injections currently done in hospitals and ASCs. No reason why that can't be done in office. Same for cataracts. So cataracts, ophthalmology is the second biggest ASC service line specialty. There was a Kaiser study in 2018, 2019 that proved that cataracts can be safely done in an office setting. I've got some clients, some health system clients, trying to figure out how to convince their ophthalmologist to do some cataracts in the office setting and then backfill the ASC with something else. So those are other examples and things to pay attention to. That's so interesting, particularly the shift to home for things that used to historically be done within the four walls of the hospital. Tony, I'm thinking back to when we were working on the medicine forecast two years ago, having these discussions of it's so difficult to set up these programs in the home, just the oversight that you need to have. It's really a burden on the patients. It's time consuming. They need all of this equipment. The fact that we've come so far in such a short period of time to really ease implementation of these procedures in patients' home, just further improving access and and convenience. It's just incredible. I wouldn't say the implementation has gotten really any easier per se. I think it's still a challenge for sure, but it is something we're excited about. And we do look at that at SG2. Sometimes we say we forecast hope. And so we are kind of hopeful that this is something that can be done in the home setting. There are some things that we want to move, not just out of the hospital, but all the way to home. There are some huge barriers there. The patient's home needs to be in a way that can support it. The health system needs to have its logistics and everything together. It's easier said than done, but we're we're forecasting hopefully that it can happen. If this movement is happening across all markets to varying degrees, how should hospitals be preparing? Are there steps that they should deploy to ensure that they're prepared to navigate the changing landscape? What do you recommend? We definitely address this in the publication. We've actually included an action framework that is going to help organizations formulate how they might respond according to their specific market conditions. Essentially, we've outlined three different steps to follow beginning with first identifying what some of the greatest areas of vulnerability might be. This could be understanding whether a procedure is integral to the specific service line, how high is the risk that that shift of this procedure is going to have, and could it potentially create a domino effect? And how does the organization currently even have capacity to offer this procedure in a lower acuity site setting? Next, we'd encourage potentially grading the degree of impact denoted in a high, medium, or low spectrum. A high impact would encompass significant volume and revenue loss 
to other competitors in the market, while a low impact would reflect a market where maybe the capacity to accommodate these shifts at other sites is currently unavailable. And third, we would suggest aligning your response to market dynamics across different strategic priorities, acting as either a leader where you would encourage this movement to lower acuity sites, even for procedures with a lower shift of that risk, a follower where you would acknowledge that there are going to be likely shifts and you're seeking to minimize the impact on your revenue, volumes, and market share retention, or as a stabilizer where you would work to minimize any of the shifts anticipating significant consequences, but perhaps maybe there is not necessarily a way to mitigate the full-on impact. How do disruptors fit into this? The biggest disruptor in this space is private equity. We see private equity entering some high competitive, high volume, high growth markets because there's just opportunity there to make a margin to do business. One area where we're seeing this, where there's a lot of noise is with cardiac. There's private equity groups picking up some cardiology practices and they have the intention of moving cardiology volume, cardiac volume to the ASCs that these private equity groups own and do business with. And so while SG2 isn't too excited about the long-term trend about cardiac ASCs, we're a little more bearish on that. It is happening in some areas and this is something we're paying attention to. Something we don't want to have in our blind spot is the possibility that there are disruptors like that pull something out of our hospital outpatient departments or cath labs specifically in this instance that we didn't see coming. That's something that we're paying attention to pretty closely. Tony, Nikita, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. Listeners really encourage you to check out the side of care briefing that Tony and Nikita have talked a bit about. It's great. Love the strategic framework. It'll help organizations start to think through how to manage that outpatient shuffle. So with that, thank you, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.